This is Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church, inviting you to give consideration to our Early Learning Academy as you look for a place for your pre-K, kindergarten, or first grader. We would love to have the opportunity to serve your child. We have outstanding facilities and a wonderful staff of certified teachers itching to serve you. Come by and share with us as soon as you can. Is God real? Are the stories in the Bible true? I need answers. Welcome to A Closer Look with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you chose to spend the next hour with us as we delve into the study of God's Word. We can't do what we don't know. Here at Shiloh, we want to spend time studying the Word so that we can rightly apply the Word to our daily living and make a difference in our community and in our world for Jesus Christ. Won't you join us now? for a closer look into God's Word. Turn, please, to Malachi, chapter 3. We're continuing our series on generous giving. And today we're moving into that section that deals with tithes and offerings. When, uh, for members of Shiloh, uh, when, when we come to the time of giving, as the ushers are uh, collecting the offering, uh, we have uh, a set of scriptures that we regularly recite. And one of those scriptures uh, comes from Malachi chapter 3. Bring all the tithe to the storehouse and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open unto you the window of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Well, that passage of Scripture comes from Malachi chapter 3 uh, and is couched within verses 6 through 12. And we want to focus on that today with regard to our continuing discussion on generous giving. First thing we want to say is that tithing may be likened to baptism and the Lord's Supper, which are the two ordinances of the church. How so? We share in baptism and the Lord's Supper because, number one, Jesus told us to do so. He said that we should do this. Secondly, we do so to show our identification with the various aspects of Christ's ministry. Baptism symbolizes our identity with the death of the carnal life that we have known and our rebirth to a new spiritual life into which we will grow. When you go down into what we used to call the liquid grave, we, we, we bury you into the liquid grave. It is, it is symbolic of the death of the old man. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. What do you do with things that are passed away? You bury them. 
all things become new. So that when you go down into the water, it symbolizes death to a, a carnal life. And, and by, I know carnal always has, has, has ties to, to evil. But, but it simply means it, it, is, it, it is a purging of the flesh and a rising to the spirit, where, where the spiritual life takes control. And we do that to symbolize our identification with the new life that is ours when we surrender to Jesus Christ. That's why we engage in baptism. Why do we engage in the Lord's Supper? We engage in the Lord's Supper to identify with the suffering that our Lord endured on our behalf to atone for our sin and to make us worthy for eternal salvation. He said that when we do this, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. He said that, that that's what the identification of this means. So, we do these things to identify with various aspects of our relationship with Christ. In the same way, and I'm not equating tithing with an ordinance. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm saying it's like an ordinance in that tithing is our way of identifying ourselves as being in spiritual alignment with God. It shows that we have put God first not because we must, but because we may. And there's a big difference between must and may. Must implies requirement. I've got to do this. May requires I do it because I want to. I do it because I'm led to. I, I do it in response to what has been done for me. The question should be asked, why is tithing important in the life of the Christian? And I want you to notice, I said in the life of the Christian as well as the life of the church. It's more important in the life of the Christian than it is in the life of the church. I want to give you four quick reasons why. Number one, it is the scriptural method of honoring God. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 14. Look at verses 17 through 20. Genesis chapter 14, beginning with verse 17. After Abram returned from defeating Kedorlaomer and his allied kings, the king of Sodom came out to greet him in the valley of Shaveh, the king's valley. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of the high God and blessed him. Blessed be Abraham by the high God, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be the high God who handed your enemies over to you. Abram gave him a tenth of all the recovered plunder. Do you see that? Now, 
I bring up Genesis 14, 17 through 20 because this predates the law. For those who, who, who object to, to any discussion of tithing because they say the tithing is, is, is the law and we're no longer under the law, we're under grace, which is what I've heard folks say for a long, long time. I want you to see that the tithe predates the law. Genesis 14 is before there was a Mosaic covenant, it's before there was a Moses. Moses hadn't even been a thought on somebody's mind at this point. It was before the Mosaic Covenant. It was before the tabernacle, which was the tent of meeting. It was before the temple, which replaced the tabernacle as the place of meeting. It was before the synagogue, which became the satellite places of worship after the temple was destroyed. It was before the Levitical priesthood, those who had been called out by God to serve as God's priest. So the tithe was offered not to support a worship place and not to support worship leadership. The tithe predates all of that. And when Abram offers the tithe, to Melchizedek of the plunder, the offering of the tithe was for one reason and one reason only, to honor God. And so the first reason why we tithe is not because the church needs the money. Church needs the money, child. It's not because a ministry needs the money or a minister needs the money. The first reason we tithe, according to the scripture, is to honor God. We got that? That's number one. Number two, tithing is a consistent and fair method of worship. It is a consistent and fair method of worship. How so? It is consistent because it is only asking you to give back regularly as you have received. If you have not received, you are not expected to give. It is fair because the measure of our giving is not based on an artificial standard, but on a personal standard. And the personal standard is as you have received. We, we've talked about this before when, when, when we mentioned the fact that, that many of our churches, uh, this church when I was a child, and, and many churches from which you all came or perhaps still have relationship with, operated on a dues system. And a dues system said that everybody give the same amount regardless of what your income was. 
If the dues was a dollar, it didn't matter if you only earned a dollar or if you earned $10, if you earned $100. Everybody was expected to give the same amount. Tithing is not based upon an artificial standard. Tithing is based upon a personal standard, and the personal standard is as you have been blessed, God asks you to give 10% of that back as worship of him. So, it is scriptural. It is a consistent and fair method of worship. Third, it is a practical and tangible means of expressing our faith. It is a practical and tangible means of expressing our faith. Tithing should not be viewed simply as something God wants us to do. It should be something that we want to do to show our appreciation to God for what he has done and our faith in him as the source of our blessing to provide with the adequate supply to meet our needs. Therefore, it is an expression of our faith. It's a tangible expression of our faith. Now, you know, there are all kinds of expressions of our faith, but one of them has to do with our giving. Because it's a release of that which has been entrusted into our care back to the one who gave it with the understanding that in doing so, we lose nothing. And in fact, we gain more than we lose. Number four. It requires intentionality. Nobody tithes by accident. According to, to Robert Schnees, and again, I refer to the book that, that we have been using as a source for this Bible study, uh, he says, tithing is not merely a financial decision. It is a life choice. Get this, it is a life choice that rearranges all of our furniture in our interior lives. In other words, all the stuff that you got already set up in your life, yeah. Yeah. tithing rearranges all of that. Yeah. So how, how does that rearrangement take place? How do you do it and, and you're not mad about it? How do you do it and you're not feeling put upon and stressed to do it? Well, to achieve this, number one, you have to pray earnestly and honestly. You have to tell God how you feel about it. 
and you have to ask God to help you feel like you ought to feel. If you don't feel like you ought to feel, tell God. What is it we think? I must tell Jesus all of my trials. For somebody, tithing is a trial. For somebody, it's a test. For somebody, it's a challenge. So in order to achieve this, you have to start off with prayer. And you have to pray honestly and earnestly for God to help you. Help you do what? That's B. You have to adapt your will and your behavior to somebody else's desire. And by somebody else, I don't mean the preacher, I don't mean the deacon, I don't mean the church, I don't mean the ministry leader, I mean God. If he is Lord, does that not mean that what he says goes in every aspect of our lives? You're already mad because he said you got to forgive folk that you don't want to forgive. And you got to serve folk that you don't necessarily want to serve. But he's Lord. And, and, and so we recognize that he's in charge. He's first. And this is what he has asked us to do. Well, when, when we talk about rearranging the furniture of our, of our lives, of our interior selves, it's not to suit me. It's to suit him. He said what should be first. And, he, and he's told you, and you, you've heard it. You just won't act like you didn't hear it. You ever have somebody call your name as you're walking away and you don't want to talk to them, so you, you act like you didn't hear them when they called? You just keep right on walking? God is calling somebody's name, and you just walking. And somebody got to touch you and tell you, they calling you. Well, life has a way of touching you. Life has a way of reaching out and grabbing you, letting you know God's calling you. You have, to, you have to ask for his help to rearrange your priorities. Third, you have to adjust your focus away from the material to the eternal. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 6. Look at verse 19. Don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and end up being. King James Version says, for where your treasure is, there shall your heart be also. So, 
Tithing is important in the life of the Christian because it is the scriptural method of honoring God. It is a consistent and fair method of worship. It is a practical and tangible means of expressing our faith, and it requires intentionality. Okay? I think those things are, 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 are very important for us to understand as we go forward. Let me say this. Starting with the tithe is good. In fact, for many of us, it's great. For many of us, it's monumental. Don't think that everybody who's in the church, excuse me, in the church tithes. They don't. In fact, the overwhelming majority of people in the church do not tithe. So starting with the tithe is good, but it should not be where we end. The practice of extravagant generosity stretches us to offer our utmost and highest to God rather than give in a manner that is haphazard and unplanned and reactive and minimalist and mediocre and mechanical. As our spiritual lives mature, we should more easily see how blessing others, how our blessing from God gains us an opportunity to bless him by blessing others. Our blessing from God gives us a greater opportunity to bless him by being a blessing to others. This is when we move from just rendering tithes, which is the baseline, to bringing offerings, which is the free expression of love with the desire to worship God for who he is, to praise him for what he has done and is doing, and to serve others by being partners with him in the work that he has for us in the world. In other words, tithe is the base. The offering is what you give above the tithe. I'm not going to say what, what we have always said, what we have become accustomed to saying, the tithe is what you owe. I'm going to say that the tithe is the base. I think that's a better way of saying it. God doesn't want you to give him anything because you feel like you owe it to him. God wants you to give it because you know it's right to do and you want to do it. So, the tithe is the base. The offering is what you give above the base. You can't Give an offering if you haven't given a tithe. You can give something, but it's hard to call it an offering if it hasn't met the base. I don't know if they do it anymore. When, when, when I was in school, when, when you first went to college, if you didn't score... Excuse me. 
if you didn't score high enough in certain uh, courses, you had to take what was called remedial classes. Remedial math or remedial English or remedial science, something like that. Now, you, you went to class and you had to score a grade, but none of the classes, none of the credits counted towards your graduation, counted, counted towards your degree. You had to do it. If, if, if you wanted to get courses that met the requirement, you had to first do the courses that didn't meet the requirement because you had not met the requirement coming into the class. If you give below the base, you haven't met what the base is. That makes sense, right? I know you're being quiet because you don't like it when we talk about money, but, 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 but I think what I say, it makes sense. You haven't met the base. So it, it's important first that you meet the base. And it's only after you meet the base that what you do afterwards counts towards the degree that you're trying to get. Well, let's talk about the passage. Turn back to Malachi, which is where I said we were going to spend our time. Starting with verse 6. I'm sorry, Malachi chapter 3 starting with verse 6. I am God. Yes, I am. I haven't changed. And because I haven't changed, you, the descendants of Jacob, haven't been destroyed. You have a long history of ignoring my commands. You haven't done a thing I've told you. Return to me. So I can return to you, says God of the angel armies. You ask, but how do we return? Begin by being honest. Do honest people rob God? But you rob me day after day. You ask, how have we robbed you? The tithe and the offering. That's how. And now you're under a curse, the whole lot of you, because you're robbing me. Bring your full tithe to the temple treasury, so there will be ample provisions in my temple. Test me in this and see if I don't open up heaven itself to you and pour out blessings beyond your wildest dreams. For my part... I will defend you against the marauders, protect your wheat fields and vegetable gardens against plunderers, the message of God of the angel armies. You'll be voted happiest nation. You'll experience what it's like to be a country of grace. God of the angel armies says so. Malachi gives this word as part of a much larger discourse. We're focusing in only on the part that has to do with giving. But it's a much larger discourse that actually starts in the middle of chapter 2, where God, speaking through the prophet, says that his people 
have abandoned him, have moved away from him. And it is because they have moved away from him that they are experiencing the trouble that they are experiencing. In chapter 3, verse 6, where we focus in, Malachi makes a couple of points that are important for us to recognize. Point number one, God doesn't change. I am God. Yes, I am. I haven't changed. So, if God has not changed, and yet there is estrangement between us and God, who changed? Who moved? Who stopped being where they were supposed to be? The answer is obvious. It is not that God has moved from us. It is that we have moved from God. And the point that, that, that the prophet is making is that unless we return to God, unless we recognize the preciousness of the relationship that we have with God, then we will not experience the continuation of his kindness, his compassion, and his mercy. Now, remember, this is an Old Testament passage. This is pre-Christ. I'm not talking about anybody losing their salvation. But what I am talking about is the loss of the joy of the relationship and the fellowship that you have with God. We said on Sunday, one of the worst things in the world is to see miserable Christians. Unhappy Christians. Frowned up, scrunched up Christians. How is it that you can be under the umbrella of God's magnificent grace and yet be so miserable? Has God moved away from you? Or have you moved away from God? Things carry us away from God. Life experiences carry us away from God. Disappointments carry us away from God. And we find ourselves in a place where we are still under the umbrella of his care, but we don't have the same experience of genuine happiness and joy that comes from the relationship. There's a remedy to that. Draw nearer to him. And as you draw nearer to him, the joy of the relationship will be restored. And if you get real close, the joy will be greater than anything than you ever could have imagined. So the first thing God says through the prophet is, I haven't changed. You have. And, 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 and so, 
if you want me to be specific as to how you have changed, I can give you an example. And that's what the tithing aspect of this is. This is really a call for them to return to God. And he uses the tithe and the offering as an example of an expression of that return. He says, but you'll ask, but how do we return? He says, begin by being honest. Yes. He wasn't just talking to the priest. He was talking to the people in general. Yes, there was a section that had to do with the priest and had to do with their personal integrity. But when it comes to the tithe and the offering, that's for everyone to bring. Everyone's responsible for that. And the tithe and the offering is how the work of the priests were to be supported. Start by being honest. Start by watching how you handle how you rob me. God, we don't rob you. How could we do that? You don't rob by taking. You rob by withholding. You withhold. You hold back from what God has given to you. And you have to be careful of that. Because in so doing, you show that in spite of what you say about God being first, he's not actually first in your life. We preach Sunday from Mark chapter 10, uh, the rich young ruler who was told when he asked the question, what, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? He, told, he was told, sell everything you've got. Give up all your stuff. Then come follow me. And he said, I'm not going to do that. He said, I can't do that. He walks away sorrowful. And in response, Jesus says, it's hard for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. Not because it's a sin to be wealthy, but because there's something that happens to wealthy folk they tend to rely more on their wealth than on the one who gave them their wealth. In Luke chapter 19, Zacchaeus comes to Jesus, and Jesus sees Zacchaeus and says, I must go to your house. And in response to the, the exchange that takes place between Jesus and Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus says, if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to give back four times the amount that I took, and I'm going to give half of what I own to those who are poor. And in response, Jesus says, today, salvation has come to this house. Not because the salvation was tied to the money, but the salvation was tied to the attitude about the money. Some of us have an attitude problem. And the attitude problem is what keeps us 
from giving to God as we know we should. I am not in line with those who suggest that we ought to give everything because God does not say that. But God says that there is a portion that you ought to give in honor of the one who gave to you. Turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, starting with verse 10. If you're honest in small things, you'll be honest in big things. If you're a crook in small things, you'll be a crook in big things. If you're not honest in small jobs, who will put you in charge of the store? No worker can serve two bosses. He'll either hate the first and love the second or adore the first and despise the second. You can't serve both God and the bank. I love Peterson. In this context, the small thing that he talks about is the money that God has entrusted to us. And the big things are the souls of the people. So when you put that together, what he's saying is that our use of money is God's test of whether or not he can entrust souls to our care. You can impress folk with how well you can quote scripture, how fervent your prayers are, but God looks at how we manage that which he has put in our care. Questions. Are you greedy? Or are you generous? Do you have integrity in money matters? Are your priorities and motives in line with the word of God? This is not a written exam that you're going to be given in the church, at least not in this one. It's a personal exam that you ought to have with the Lord every day. According to the passage, if you give to God out of what he has blessed you to have, your tithe and your offering. And by the way, it's all the tithe. Read it. King James Version, because I know y'all still read the King James Version. Bring all the tithe to the storehouse. Message Version, bring the whole tithe to the Lord's house. You can't split your tithe between the church and your sorority. Or your civic organization. 
You can't say that all of that is part of my charitable giving. Giving to God is not part of your charitable giving. Giving to God is part of your worship. Bring it all to the Lord's house. That's what it says. Well, there wasn't no united way in the Bible. God was before the united way. And when there is no more united way, God will still be there. According to the passage, it is not incorrect for us to make the following declarative, and we're going to finish early, with regard to the purpose of the tithe in the church today. There is a primary purpose, there is a secondary purpose, and there is a tertiary purpose. I love the word tertiary. Any chance I get to use the word tertiary, I, I, I throw it in there. The primary purpose is to worship and honor God. The secondary purpose is to provide adequate financial support to the work of the church. The tertiary purpose is to tangibly respond to the needs of hurting people. So when we offer our tithes and our offerings, we are worshiping God first, we are meeting the needs of the church second, and we are meeting the needs of people third. Churches don't operate unless there's giving. I know that's hard for some people to understand. I'm not talking primarily to you, I'm talking to people who might be watching. Because the big complaint that people make about the church is that they always got their hands out for money. Churches don't work without money. Just like your house don't work without money. Try working your house without money and see how long you stay there. It simply doesn't happen. So there's a primary purpose, there's a secondary purpose. There's a tertiary purpose. And if we do this, the promise is that God will bless us as a result. May we stand together. Shiloh feeds the hungry on a regular basis. Shiloh clothes the naked through its bargain center on a regular basis. Shiloh pays bills for people who are having a hard time and can't pay their bills on a regular basis. These are not drives that we have that last for two or three weeks out of the year. These are things that take place every day of the week uh, through our bargain center, through our charitable foundation, through our brotherhood and sisterhood, through our comfort and care ministry, through our prison ministry. Shiloh reaches out into the community 
on an everyday basis. You know, much is made of, of, of what we tried to do during the floods of 2016, where we took uh, a considerable amount of time and resources to help feed people on a daily basis as they tried to get back up on their feet. Uh, much is made about that, and, and we're grateful for all of those who did so much. Reverend Jennifer Jones led that effort and did a wonderful job with that. But the truth of the matter is, Shiloh feeds people every day. Shiloh clothes people every day. Shiloh uh, provides the necessary uh, things for people to have a higher quality of life on an everyday basis. Not to mention the scholarship program with $50,000 in scholarships. Uh, are, are given away every year to people. Not to mention the summer enrichment program where young people are given an opportunity to work in areas of their own interest uh, throughout the summer. And Shiloh picks up the tab for that, not the business. We don't go to businesses and ask them to pay for it. We ask them to place the person and Shiloh pays for that. And we don't get a grant to do that. We do that through the membership. So when you ask me, what is it uh, that we have in store? It's, it's, it's simply looking at the needs that exist as they arise and then saying, well, what can we do to fix that need? I can't say what the need is going to be. We didn't know in 16 that there was going to be a massive flood. We didn't know in 16 that Alton Serling was going to be murdered in the way that he was by Baton Rouge police officers. We didn't know uh, many of the things that have happened that they were going to happen when they happen. But I thank God that I serve a congregation that is ready, willing, and able to respond to those needs as they arise without knowing what those needs might be. This is Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church, inviting you to give consideration to our Early Learning Academy as you look for a place for your pre-K, kindergarten, or first grader. We would love to have the opportunity to serve your child. We have outstanding facilities and a wonderful staff of certified teachers itching to serve you. Come by and share with us as soon as you can. There's always a prayer aspect, because uh, anytime you do something for the Lord, uh, you always want to seek His guidance. Uh, after, uh, after praying, though, it's, it's a combination of things, because uh, one, you want to, to try to unify your audience, uh, you want to unify them in a way that doesn't offend anybody, but at the same time, you want to be able to offer like a fresh experience. Uh, so a lot of, uh, a lot of the, 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 the people that uh, we're ministering to goes into that, that factor. Uh, like for instance on first Sunday, uh, it's a mass choir Sunday, at least at, at the 11 a.m. service. So I'm primarily focused more on the older generation. Uh, and we're, we're more inclined to do uh, material that, that, that's dear to their hearts. Uh, you hear a lot, a lot more hymns on first Sunday uh, as opposed to maybe like the second Sunday. Second Sunday is, is ge uh, geared more towards our youth, 
our young adult uh, and our children. So there'll be a, uh, the music will change a little bit. It'll be a little more contemporary, a little bit more progressive. But at the same time, uh, not to alienate uh, anyone, we'll still come back and we'll have at least one hymn uh, to kind of get everybody uh, involved. And I think at the end of the day, it's uh, it's that healthy mixture that kind of sets even this church apart from uh, from other churches. Uh, other services, even even other denominations. Uh, we're not afraid to uh, to do contemporary music and in the same tone do a, a spiritual or a, a good old hymn, something like Amazing Grace or How, How Great Thou Art. Uh, and I think that all goes into our preparation process. The fact that we're just not afraid, we, we'll try anything. <laughs> This is Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church, inviting you to give consideration to our Early Learning Academy as you look for a place for your pre-K, kindergarten, or first grader. We would love to have the opportunity to serve your child. We have outstanding facilities and a wonderful staff of certified teachers itching to serve you. Come by and share with us as soon as you can. I accept the reality that people have the right to choose to worship wherever they want to worship. Uh, they have the right to choose to go wherever the Lord leads them. That's cognitively. Practically, what is dismaying to me is that so many people of color will find their way to predominantly white-led churches and not lend their talents, their abilities, their God-given gifts to the black church and the black church experience where the needs are greater and where your effort can be magnified in lifting up brothers and sisters who are in places of despair. What has happened within the African-American church uh, is not that different. What has happened within the church is not that different than what has happened with other entities and other institutions within our communities. Uh, one of the byproducts of desegregation or of integration, whichever way you choose to, to phrase it, uh, is that there has been a fracture within the African-American community. And many of our brothers and sisters have been left behind. Uh, and the needs that they have are not being met because there is not the resources available in order to meet them. And I'm not just talking about financial resources. I'm talking about talents, skills, and abilities. I'm talking about academic resources. I'm talking about political influence. I'm talking about the influence that can be made 
through physical labor and through coming in and just working with one another in order to help lift one another. That's the experience that is unique to the African-American church. And it is an experience uh, that more of us need to enjoy and more, and more of us need to benefit from. And we are deprived of that. We are deprived of, of the ability to make the differences that can be made because of the fracture that exists within our communities. And you can't convince me uh, that you are benefiting so much from being a part of that alternate worship experience when that alternate worship experience doesn't really speak to who you are. The oppressed cannot receive a relevant message from the oppressor. While we both talk about Jesus, we talk about Jesus from two entirely different perspectives. And so it is important that we recognize that even though we may have enjoyed a, a, a larger uh, degree of success on, in other venues of our lives and other aspects of our lives, it does not change the fact that we are still members of the oppressed community. The oppressed community in Baton Rouge, the oppressed community in Louisiana, the oppressed community in the United States of America. And as the oppressed, we need to recognize the importance and the significance of bringing our resources together and utilizing them for the uplifting of us all. And where we fail to do that, we are a part of the problem and not a part of the solution. This is Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church, inviting you to give consideration to our Early Learning Academy as you look for a place for your pre-K, kindergarten, or first grader. We would love to have the opportunity to serve your child. We have outstanding facilities and a wonderful staff of certified teachers itching to serve you. Come by and share with us as soon as you can. comes to African-American uh, uh, culture and the African-American community, uh, I have a lot of hope because there is a tremendous amount of talent that exists within uh, young African-American men and women. Uh, I am constantly uh, blown away and amazed by the level of uh, intelligence, uh, uh, academic acumen drive uh, that uh, many of the young people here in this church uh, possess. Uh, and uh, I think that there is a lot that they can contribute uh, to the next generation uh, if they continue on the path that they're on. My fears, though, have to do with the fact that uh, for too many of us, opportunities do not exist. Uh, uh, and opportunities have been cut short by uh, uncontrollable aspects 
of their lives and, and in some cases aspects of their lives that they indulged in that were completely controllable. Uh, being young is, is, is a wonderful thing. It's also a frightening thing because uh, by virtue of the fact that you are young, you tend to make mistakes. Uh, uh, you tend to exercise poor judgment. You tend to think that you can do things uh, and get away with it or, or do things that are bold uh, that uh, will not have any consequences. And more often than not, uh, you're caught up in the consequences and the consequences prove to be overwhelming. Uh, too many of our young people uh, are trying to make quick dollars uh, by doing things that are illegal, immoral, risky. Uh, too many of our young people are caught up in environments uh, that have proven to be negative and they don't seem to find a way uh, to get out of those environments. They don't have adequate help, they don't have adequate guidance and counsel to get out of those negative environments. And the environment proves to be overwhelming and they're caught up in it uh, like a web and, and they're carried under. In many cases, uh, talented young African-American people simply succumb to the environment and, and say, this is, this is my world and uh, I'm gonna navigate it as best I can for as long as I can. It's really troubling to me when I talk to young people uh, who don't expect to live to see 30. And uh, uh, that, that, that's a pretty hopeless way to live life, to expect to be gone by 30. As somebody who's about to turn 54, I really recognize now how young 30 is. And to see people uh, who don't have any real expectation of living to 30, let alone beyond, 30 is very troubling to me. And these are not stupid people. These are people who simply have not been given the same opportunities to achieve and to succeed that others have been given. This is Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church, inviting you to give consideration to our Early Learning Academy as you look for a place for your pre-K, kindergarten, or first grader, we would love to have the opportunity to serve your child. We have outstanding facilities and a wonderful staff of certified teachers itching to serve you. Come by and share with us as soon as you can.